Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 474 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. Joining me is Donald Wine. Donald, how are you doing today? Uh, Jason, I think you know how I'm doing today. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was suggested by one of our... We, we had a ton of emails that have come to us in the past 12 hours or uh, 16 hours or so. It was suggested by Chris Bynum. One of one of our emailers, he said, "Just skip it, man. Don't don't even bother. Don't." He said, "Don't do a podcast." Look, Jason, I appreciate our listeners that email us and gives us th- their takes on the games, but we also appreciate the people who email us and just talk about, "Hey, conserve your personal health, your mental health." Like, <laughs> we appreciate you, man. Yeah. So, if you can't guess, we uh, we need to talk about the uh, Blue Devils game against NC State last night. Um. Wow. This was this was a bad game, Donald. This was this was arguably Duke's worst effort in several years, I think. <laughs> uh I but I, I guess, you know, should we I guess we should do the way we're supposed to. The Blue Devils game 84 to 60. I'll repeat that again. 84 to 60. NC State beats Duke. And here's the crazy part. We lost by 24. I don't think it was that close, Donald. I don't think the final score was indicative of how badly we got beat down. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Oh. 
Anyway, the the first part uh, we're going to still do. By the way, Sam couldn't join us. If we're seeming a little discombobulated, it's both because we we got our asses kicked last night in the most brutal, brutal way possible, and because it's just me and Donald. We don't have Sam helping us to guide the ship today. Uh, he he said that he was he was very busy. He had a lot of stuff going on. He didn't have the time to devote the necessary time to devote to this because this episode, this game recap, this you know, oh, don't bother and all that other stuff. It's, it's important. We we need to talk about this. We need to talk about what went wrong because there's a whole heck of a lot of stuff that went wrong. And let's start with the headlines. I already mentioned Chris Bynum, who said we should skip doing the podcast. Chris also sent us a headline that I liked. I got a bunch of these. I'm, we, we were, like I said, we we're inundated. The number of emails we got was pretty darn close In, to unprecedented. Including several before the game was over. I mean, that's <laughs> yes. how bad. I mean, that's well, let's, let's say that's how bad this game was, is that people could formulate their opinions on this game like in the middle of, of like the first half, we were getting emails. Yeah. So Chris Bynum said, uh, slain by wolves, Duke no-shows in Raleigh. I like that one. Brandy Mills said, state of embarrassment. And there were a lot of headlines that people sent in that used the word embarrassment, unacceptable. Those were those were two <laughs> words that I, I read a lot. Eric Blumenfeld. I like this one. Pack it up, pack it in. Duke fans all cringe. Nice South of Pain reference. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was good. By the way, Eric also uh, mentioned, he said, hey, Duke demonstrated terrific ball movement, player spacing, fight, and poise on exactly three possessions. <laughs> <laughs> At least we can laugh. At least we can laugh, right? Uh, John Barnhill. Thank you, John, for, uh, for another decent one. He said, new math hits Duke, and the new math is Four stars beat five stars. John there talking about the fact that Duke has a bunch of guys who uh, maybe have their eye on the NBA and NC State has a bunch of guys who were four-star, three-star recruits who completely outplayed Duke's five-star studs. Uh, but my, by the way, my friend Tom Bashir pointed out that with 9.39 left in the game, I, I bring this up just because we're talking about things that we heard from from listeners, from uh, you know, and Tom said with 9.39 left in the game, 9.39 left in the second half, Duke managed to match NC State's halftime score. That's bad. It took us 30 minutes to do what they did in 20. That is really mm-hmm. bad. All right, so, Donald, I'll give you my headline, then you give me yours. Sure. I, I said, Duke looks lost in second road trip of season. I- I'm not even sure they I- – I think the bus making the trip from Durham to Raleigh made a wrong turn someplace because the guys who got off that bus were not Duke Blue Devil basketball players. What's your headline? Mine was simple, packed. That's a good one. I like that. You know what? We got a ton. That might be the best one I've heard. Packed is accurate. The Blue Devils, especially early in this game, went into the lane and NC State said, "Uh uh-uh, your ball isn't hitting the rim. (laughs) We're going to reject it. We're going to go the other direction. We're going to get a fast break. NC State destroyed, oh my God, the number of ways they destroyed Duke were numerous, but fast break points may have been the biggest of all of them. Ugly. Ugly. Donald, let's pretend like there's some good. Let's pretend like there's something we can talk about that we liked. Get me started on the good. Uh, so th- I have two good points. And the first one is Jaden Shute made his three. Um, then when he came into the game, we, we that's his job to shoot threes and make them. I will say that Dariq Whitehead did make four threes. He led the team. We, we were five for 15 from three-point land. Those are your five threes. Dariq Whitehead with four. Jaden Shute with one. Hey, hey. 
jump in really quick on the Jaden shoot thing. I, I got a lot of emails, got a lot of text messages about this game. Uh, my friend Jordan Brenner, who, who used to write for ESPN, folks may recognize the name Jordan Brenner. Jordan sent me an email and he said, hey, if Kale Catchings passes to Jaden shoot for a three-pointer, is that a catch and shoot jumper? I thought that was funny. I was like, Jordan, that's pretty good, man. <laughs> he, and that's exactly what he did. He caught the ball. He shot it. It, it was it was great. And, and honestly, I mean, there were some flashes of points where you're kind of like, okay, these guys are showing some fight. I, I commend them for on a on a bad, a terrible night. You know, there was points where that that energy, at least of trying to make up that huge deficit that we started out with uh, to be okay. But I, it wasn't, I mean, that's not to say that the energy there was good, but there were points where they kind of, for a minute or two, were able to kind of bring it together and, you know, score a few points or, or get a couple of stops. It, they just weren't able to put together 40 minutes and not even close to 40 minutes. So my only good, and I don't know if you have more, <laughs> I, I doubt it. <laughs> nope. My only good, uh, I had um, uh, Mark Mitchell, I thought had some moments in this game in the first half, especially, I thought he was the only guy who was playing hard. He, he brought energy. He kept balls alive. That was not something that the rest of the Blue Devils were interested in doing. Donald, energy is like something you talk about all the time. We each each one of us, you, me, and Sam, have our own little pet things that we talk about that we think are really important. I know for you it is energy, and it was not there at all. But I thought Mark Mitchell was the one guy who had a little bit of it, especially in the first half. And then the other thing I had that I thought was sort of good was Kyle Filipowski had a decent run at one point in the second half. Mm -hmm. But, and I'm going to segue us into the bad, I don't know why it took us 30 minutes, 30 minutes of game time to figure out that Kyle Filipowski had a huge mismatch in the post. He was being, the, NC State was banged up. By the way, we we lost this game. We got blown out by a team that was missing several players, was playing guys who'd barely played all season, and they still just destroyed us. But because of those missing players, Terquavion Smith would spend a lot of this game guarding Kyle Filipowski. I want to be clear about something. Terquavion Smith, who's going to be an NBA first-round draft pick and, and was probably the best player in college basketball who chose to come back, could have gone into the draft last year and been like a late, maybe early second, but late first-round pick. I mean, you're thinking, you're talking from draft stage. I mean, you, you think about like the Armando Baycotts and the the Oscar right. Sheboys that were, right. he was in that level of player, of college player, an elite college player. Right. I, I'm, I'm saying from NBA draft potential, guys who turned mm -hmm. down being a first-round not many of them. Terquavion Smith is one of them, and he will be gone next year. I'm almost certain of it. But Terquavion Smith, for all his talents, and we saw a lot of them, is 6'4". And among his abilities is not the ability to guard a seven-footer in the post. Uh, yes, Kyle Filipowski had a decent run in the second half. Why did it take us 30 minutes, 30 minutes of game time, to figure out that our seven-footer might do good things if he goes and posts up the 6'4 guy who's guarding him? What what was John, and I don't want to blame John Shire too much, but John, hello, how did you not recognize this? How did you not call timeout at one point? I don't know, maybe in the first five minutes of the game when Duke couldn't score at all and say, "Hey guys, see this tall dude right here? This dude who has good post moves, who's been our leading scorer in the season. Let's put his butt in the post with a six four guy guarding him and see if he can get something." Why did it take us thirty minutes to do that? I so. Since we're shifting to to the bad, and there's a lot of bad, I am not even going to talk about the first 30 minutes. I want to talk about the first 12 minutes and 20. In, in I'm sorry, the first eight minutes and 70 or 36 seconds because we didn't score a point. 
15 zip, baby. We didn't score a point until almost to under 12 timeout. Let me give you some first half stats, Jason. I know you know these, but for these for the for the listeners out there, this is how bad it was for the first half. We only scored 22 points. We had 13 turnovers. We like there was a point where we had more turnovers than points. We were out rebounded 22 to 18. We only shot 29% from the floor and that didn't really improve much in the second half. We were blocked 8 times and we only had 4 assists. It, it and I'm pretty sure we only had five or six made baskets in the first half. It was completely the, to say the lack of energy was, was gone. It, it, there was no energy. It's it's they did not. When we talked about this in the preview. We talked about how we should be able to beat NC state, but for the fact that every time we go to Raleigh, it seems like we go there and we're discombobulated. We play out of like, you know, like chickens with our head cut off. And every single time we go to Raleigh, it seems like something like that happens. That's exactly what happened in that first 734 is that we were a, we weren't able to do anything. And it's not like NC state was playing well in that first seven minutes. It's that we were playing so bad that it made them look like the number one team in the country because we weren't, we were throwing the ball away. We were going right into their defense. We weren't shooting the ball well, and we weren't making great decisions with the basketball when we, whenever we had it. And it led to just, a bunch of frustration. I'm pretty sure in those first seven minutes, you know, John Shire had to call two timeouts because he had to settle our team down and we just weren't able to settle in this game. Yeah. So a couple things I want to talk about both in those initial minutes and in the whole game. Uh, so in the whole game, you talked about the turnovers. Duke ended up with 21 turnovers. NC state had just six. And I'll be honest with you. If you told me the number was 21, I would have been like, really, that's it. I, it, it felt like it was way more than 21. Um, we continually, continually, especially early in this game, drove the ball into the lane, tried to take on guys who are bigger or guys who are, you know, multiple NC State players who were in the post and got caught in the air and would try to throw the ball back out or something like that. And, and it just ended up in turnovers again and again and again. And these were not turnovers like, oh, I, I committed a charge. Oh, I walked. Oh, I threw the ball out of bounds. Live ball turnovers. The NC State ran the other direction. They outscored us. Here comes the number, Donald. 30 to 2. 30 to 2 on fast break points. Uh, unbelievable. The dude oh, that's was... a, that was points off turnovers. Oh, I'm sorry. Points off turnovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 yeah. you like you said, the fast break points, I believe it was like 25 to 7. It was it was a disparity that was almost as great. Yeah, it was just awful. And all of this, the, the block shots. The turnovers, it all led to, we talked about your favorite thing, energy. Donald, tell the folks what's my favorite thing. Uh, Free throw attempts. I'm sorry, field goal attempts. Field goal attempts. NC State had 22 more shots than we did. 22 more shots. It's, It's almost, the reason I love field goal attempts, as I've said many times in the past, it's a combination, it, it takes into account turnovers, offensive rebounding, it's possible to win a game when the other team shoots a couple more shots than you do. It's almost virtually, it's almost impossible. Unless like there's some huge disparity in three-point shooting or at the free throw line. If you get outshot by seven, 10 shots from the field, you're just not winning the game. We were outshot by 22 shots. You want to know how you lose by 24 points? It's it's They take 22 more shots than you did. Yeah, they made they took 22 more shots. They made 14 more of them. They made five more threes. The only statistical category where we really beat them was at the free throw line where we, you know, we made 17 of 25 and they were eight of 15 or whatever. But 
it did matter because a lot of those Jason were in the second half when we were, you know, down 25, 30 points. And we were just trying to get three back every single time. And we were having, they were just making us earn them at the free throw line of which we weren't that great at the free throw line either. So you can't really take that as a victory. This, the effort there. And it seemed like a while the, the coaching staff just didn't know what to do because it was one of like, I, I told my best friend, Jeff, like, look, like two minutes in the game, I was like, oh, it's one of these games. Cool. All right. At least I know. Like, I know that this is going to be one of those games where the energy is just non-existent, that we can't seem to get anything right. And it seemed like everyone on the team was just not up for the task of playing a game on the road in Raleigh. And as you mentioned, Jason, this, this we've only had two true road games this year, and both of them have been terrible efforts in places where we normally, you know, struggle, but we can win in these if we just play our basketball game and we just didn't do that. So uh, I mentioned that I wanted to, you, you talked about the first half. I wanted to talk about a moment in the first half that I think was the deciding moment in the game. If there can be a deciding moment in a, in a 24 point loss like this with about five minutes left in the first half, we finally started playing a little bit better. We got a couple stops. We scored a couple baskets and we cut the score to 26 to 14. I want to be clear. 26 to 14 is still atrocious. 12 points is manageable. 12 points is very manageable. And what happened at that moment was uh, Drake Whitehead got a steal. And we came down and Kyle Filipowski took a three-pointer. It was a bad three-pointer. He was off balance, didn't look like he had his, didn't look like he had his rhythm. He missed it badly, really badly. In fact, he missed it so badly, it created like this really long rebound, and state ran out the other direction super fast and almost immediately buried a three-pointer, only seconds later. And the the announcers start talking about, wow, that's a six point. Like Duke had a chance. Blip had a shot to get us within 10. And they were like, wow, that's a six point turnaround. Missed that three and State gets an immediate three. Before they could even finish saying that, we threw the ball away in the backcourt for no reason. Like State was giving us pressure, but not like crazy pressure. We threw it away for no reason. No one on Duke went after the ball. The only guy in the entire stadium who thought he could save the ball before it went out of bounds was Terquavion Smith who grabbed it at the three-point line, turned around, and buried another three-pointer. In the span of like maybe 10 seconds, NC State hit back-to-back threes and was back up by 18 points. There is a chasm of difference in being down 12 and being down 18. And from an emotional standpoint, the game was over at that point. There were a lot of 50-50 balls that we weren't going after. And again, like like I've mentioned, Energy is not necessarily my favorite topic, but it's the one that overarches every single facet of the game. You can, if you if you have energy, you're going for 50-50 balls and maybe winning some. You're getting offensive rebounds, you're getting defensive rebounds, you're getting steals, you're getting, you know, you're getting that second chance, those second chance points, you're getting those fast break points. Energy begets everything in the game of basketball. And if you don't have it, it's very clear very quickly. And if a team can jump on you and capitalize on that, you get what you got last night. Yeah, and, and Donald, speaking of that, there was a moment, you know, I took notes throughout this this game, even though it was painful. There was a moment with 440 left in the game. I want to be clear, the game was over at that point. There was no chance that Duke was coming back. Derek Whitehead lost a ball, and three guys for NC State all pounced on it. Now, Whitehead was right there. He was kind of the closest guy to it. And I'm not, I don't want to be, I'm not blaming him completely for this, but three guys for NC State, they're leading by close to 30 points at that moment. Three guys jumped on that thing like like it, it was a morsel of food being tossed into a starving lion's den. They had to have that ball. 
It was the only thing that mattered in the world to them at that moment. And that was indicative of the effort that NC State put out and of the effort that Duke put out. I want to, you know, I think we should absolutely tip our hat to NC State. They played aggressive. They had they came a lot to play. of intensity. Yeah. A lot of what went wrong was Duke, but a lot of it, a good portion of it was also the performance of the NC State Wolfpack. And I do want you to think about one thing, as frustrated and angry as we are. Think about being NC State fans and knowing that your team is capable of playing this way because they usually don't. That would also be really frustrating. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because as you as we've talked about, going to Raleigh has usually been a struggle point for us in, throughout the years, like since since the entertainment sports arena, whatever it's called now, uh, is opened. And I think last night wasn't even the greatest crowd, like from an energy standpoint that they've had for a Duke game. I saw on there Twitter, a, it was, it was, it was not of crowded. Seats. It was not yeah, it was a ton yet. of empty seats, but NC state gave them a reason on every single occasion to make it feel like they were in their own, their back in Reynolds where it's, you know, a, a 10 box. They had, again, the energy that whatever energy was in the building, they capitalized on it. They fed off of it. And yeah, I mean, yeah, DJ Burns going for 18 points. Like, you had guys that don't normally do things felt like they were Superman in the paint or on the outside against the number 16 team in the country. And we all we always know this, like when NC State faces UNC or Duke, they always bring their A game because they know they are comparing themselves to those two programs, not just in the triangle, but in the state of North Carolina and the ACC. We had to have expected that. And for some reason, we still weren't able to get that energy and bring it with us from Durham, from Cameron, because I thought we had great energy the other night against Florida State. We didn't bring that and match that. And now we have to figure out how to put it together because, Jason, we go on the road to Boston College this weekend, another team where this is their Super Bowl, this is their national championship, and they're going to want to beat us because if they need a, a, a statement win to do anything in the postseason, we're the statement win that they got. And they're going to bring it, and we have to figure out a way to bottle that energy that intensity and bring it with us on the road because it really affects our game if we don't have it all right so i want to talk about a couple individual players just for a moment the second half and 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 this is going to lead me to something about these players the second half duke started a different lineup Derek whitehead was in the starting lineup and so was ryan young um i, I want to talk about whitehead first of all because you mentioned him in the good he hit four out of seven three-pointers I- i'm going to tell you right now that I don't think that was necessarily that good a thing. I think there's actually a tinge of bad to it, and this is why. This Duke team is not going to be great if Derek Whitehead is shooting seven three-pointers in a game and only shooting one two-pointer. Derek Whitehead can hit three-pointers, as we, I mean, we clearly saw it, but that's not his strength. That, he's not someone who – he doesn't have Jaden Shute's reputation as a shooter. His reputation is as a scorer and a facilitator and a defender. And score does not equate to shooter. They are not the same thing. Derek Whitehead had one assist in this game and four turnovers. We need him to be more creative. We need him to not just find shots for himself. And we need him to do more than just, you know, take step back threes or or stand outside the three-point line. The ball needs to be in his hands. And he needs to be creating opportunities for himself and for his teammates. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad that he hit four out of seven three-pointers, although... You know, the last of them was a, a heat check that was a little bit silly and I knew it was not going to go down. No chance. Mm-hmm. But but I I I, I I still am yet to see the Derek Whitehead 
that I think he can become. And then the other thing, the other reason I wanted to mention, I mentioned Ryan Young got the start in the second half. Um, that's because Derek Lively is is like borderline unplayable at this point. And I mean, I I hate that I'm saying that about him, but he was he, he's apparently healthy, and he was utterly ineffective against NC State. He's been pretty ineffective against virtually every team we've played. He's currently averaging 16 minutes per game on the season, just 3.8 points per game. Again, 3.8 points per game and just three and a half rebounds per game. Yeah, he blocks some shots. I mean, but he seems incapable of doing much more than that. And his shot blocking isn't so elite that you would go, we got to have him on the floor anyway. And again, I'm not, I want to be clear, I'm not saying to bench him, but we're talking about the guy who's the ACC preseason rookie of the year. The guy who was, at least by some people, the number one recruit in the class. It's it's just really frustrating that it's taking him so long to figure out what he can do effectively at the college level. The only the reason I have hope here is that we should not forget at this time in his freshman year, January of his freshman year, Mark Williams was unplayable. In mid-January, Mark Williams was still playing way less than Derek Lively is now. I mean, he had back-to-back games. I looked on January 12th and 19th of his freshman season. Mark Williams played a total of four minutes, two minutes each against Virginia and Pitt. We were talking about, I mean, I remember us talking about like, oh man, I just, we just don't see a way that, you know, Mark Williams can fit into the grand scheme of the game because he's just not ready yet. And then all of a sudden, yeah, something clicked, right? And and we got the Mark Williams that we got last year. By the end of the season, by the ACC tournament, remember he closes his season with 23 points and 19 rebounds against Louisville before Duke, Duke had a case of COVID that, that ended the season for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, great trivia question somewhere down the road, 2021 Duke blue devils ended the season with a victory, but did not win any tournament. <laughs> pretty yeah. hard, pretty hard to accomplish that. But we've seen Mark Williams do that in very recent memory. It was literally just two years ago. Mark Williams went from being unplayable to being a guy who, you know, one of the best big men in the country. And it, it was just, you know, it took him a matter of a couple months, it, it, you know. So, and and as much as I love Mark Williams, Lively's the same kind of caliber of player, maybe you know, arguably even better in terms of his measurables and his instincts and the such. So there's a chance this could turn around. So, Jason, we, we've we seen two road games, and I want to, I, I, we talked a little bit about wanting to broach the subject. Um, we, we've had two road games. They have gone terrible and way more terrible and now we're facing a third road game on saturday we obviously have you know seven more of these left before the ncaa turn or before the acc tournament starts how does the how does the coaching staff handle this what do we do between it from a from a macro view between now and saturday for this team to lock in and realize that when they go on the road and we, we we get it it's a young team but we do have some veterans that are used to playing on the road in big conferences, whether it's the ACC or the Big Ten, we have guys that can that have had this experience. But how do we get this team, and how does the coaching staff handle having a team like this and getting them ready for the next four days to tackle yet another road challenge? I just I don't know what that answer is, and it's a, it's an interesting question because we can't make the NCAA tournament by just winning home games. We have to win games on the road. We have to show 
that we are a team that can go into someone else's house and beat them. And and in Duke's terms, we have to really beat them. We can't just win by one and escape. We have to show that Duke basketball can be played both in Cameron and outside of Cameron. And right now we haven't seen that. And so even on the in the neutral sites, we've had some shaky games. So uh, probably our best game was against Iowa. But like other than that, like we've had some shaky games. Xavier was a pretty good game. Xavier was a good game. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had some shaky games. We've had a couple of good ones, but we have not yet shown that outside of Cameron Indoor Stadium that that teams need to fear us. So what do we do to change that? Uh, I, I wish I had the answer. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I will tell you. And I thought we were going to sort of maybe get to this after the break. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we should save it. I don't know. I, I. I think. You know, I sort of jotted down some notes. Why is Duke struggling so much? I think it's a fractured team, and and it's fractured because it hasn't had time to develop teamwork and and it, and it, and a full team mentality. Tyrese Proctor showed up very late, as we know. Jacob Grandison was hurt most of the summer and didn't play a lot with his teammates. Uh, Lively and Whitehead got hurt in the preseason fairly early in the preseason. They then were both of them were then sick again over the Christmas, you know, over the Christmas break kind of time. Uh, obviously, during the Christmas break, the the team went home. I, I don't know. I bet you could count on one hand the number of practices that John Shire has had his entire roster available to him. And I'm not making this as an excuse. I'm just trying to explain. Uh, Jeremy Roach has been battling nagging injuries. The schedule, we don't talk enough. The schedule was a bear in November and early December. Duke played 12 games in basically a month and a couple days. There's mm-hmm. it, 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 When Duke had played their 12th game right before we took our, our exam break, if you looked across the rest of college basketball, no one had played that many games. There's teams but, that are like five and one or something like that. And we yeah. were 10 and two. <laughs> Yeah, we played a ton of games with a team that that had experienced unprecedented, unprecedented turnover from the previous year. Uh, it, Roach and Blake's only guys back, uh, you know, only guys who are meaningful. Uh, tons of freshmen, tons of transfers, a brand new head coach who's inexperienced. I, I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised at the degree to which they're struggling, especially when they go on the road. When things aren't as familiar, uh, look the, for these freshmen. They they haven't never experienced anything like these kind of road atmos- atmospheres that they're that they're experiencing. And the big question, I guess, is you know what comes next? How do they respond to the adversity, the pessimism? Do they come together? Do they tear apart? Do guys think too much about the NBA, or do guys focus on Duke? You know, does Shire? revert to emotional and psychological ploys. Coach K used to love to do that kind of thing to get them focused, you know, kick them out of the locker room, take their jerseys away, uh, late night practice, early morning practice, stuff like that. Will that kind of thing even work with modern players who at least partially have their eye on the next level as much as they do on being at Duke? I don't know the answers to these questions, but they are very serious questions that that John Shire and Duke needs to deal with. Yeah, and for me, I I think... It's it's difficult to figure out because a lot of what you said, right? We we when you say fractured team, I just want to clarify for people: it's not that they're beefing or anything like that. It's just they just haven't had the time to gel as a team like other other teams have had the opportunity to do. Like you said, every single time something happens, we're like, oh wow, we're missing this player. Well, we got two more games uh, in the next three days, so let's get ready for that. Oh, we got this guy back. Oh, now he's hurt. Now he's sick. Well, 
we got this game tomorrow, so let's yeah. we'll worry about it after. But to be clear, by fractured, I don't mean that they were together and have been pulled apart. I'm not sure they've ever had a chance to really come together the way mm-hmm. Duke teams usually do. Coach K talks about the five fingers becoming the fist. I don't know that these guys have ever had a chance to to really become a fist. Yeah, and, and I think that has affected the approach to the game too, because on any given day, you don't know who's sick, you don't know who's healthy, you don't know who's injured, you don't know who's who's well. You don't know where the scoring is going to come from. You don't know who's going to show up with the energy. And you just, like we've been saying, you just kind of hope that all these pieces put together and then you throw in talent, luck, and opportunity, right? You throw in these little intangibles that you just pray all like come together on any given day. And I think from the macro level, that's something that, you know, it's, we knew there was going to be growing pains with this team from the, you know, from the guys on the, at the end of the bench to the guys at the front of the bench, me and the coaching staff, everyone here is new and not used to the situation. So um, I, I, you know, it's, it's hard for them to kind of go through that together when there's no one there to really have all the answers because no one, no one's approached this together. And even if this was still a coach K led team, right. He would say like, Hey, this is the, we're doing this for the first time as this team. And I think hopefully over the next three days, they kind of get back to the basis of this team gelling together, figuring out how to play together and figuring out, you know, again, just like just like us, Jason, Sam's not here. So we're picking up the slack. We can we can handle we Sam doesn't have to worry about, oh man, I'm I'm letting Jason and Donald down. If you're not here, I you know, we can we can pick up the slack and vice versa. This team has not figured that part out yet, in my opinion. They haven't figured out, oh, if Dariq goes down, how do how does you know who steps up in his absence? We haven't figured that part out yet because Every single week, you don't know who that person is going to be. You know, you make an incredibly good point and something I was going to bring up, but I want to play it off of what you just said, which is that I think one of the other problems this team has is a dual thing of roles and leadership. Leadership is kind of obvious when when the team struggles the way they did both against the game against Wake Forest, heck, the game against Purdue, going back to there, and especially this game against NC State. It's very easy to, to look and go, I'm not sure that these guys knew who to look for for guidance. I'm not sure they were getting the right guidance. I'm not sure this team has a natural leader. Jeremy Roach is the team captain. He is very experienced. But, I mean, let's face it. We've we've heard throughout his career, Jeremy Roach has not been someone who's super vocal. He's not someone who's um, embraced, uh, you know, like last year, Wendell Moore embraced his leadership role in a very, very big way. We've seen great captains at Duke in the past. Quinn Cook, of course, immediately comes But also, uh, also, you know, right there, like Wendell Moore, he was a, you know, two-year captain, right? Like last yeah. year, he embraced that role. And then the year before, we talked a lot about, hey, he's not vocal. He hasn't learned how to be a vocal leader. And maybe that's part of it, too, is that Jeremy Roach has to learn this on the fly. The guys who are the graduate, you know, transfers, they have to learn you know, they, they know that they have the leadership qualities, but they feel like maybe they can't, they're stepping on toes because they are too new to this team. So maybe they feel like they have to, yeah, everyone's new, but like, they feel like they have to, you know, learn how to be a leader without stepping on the toes of the captain who is the captain, right? Like there's a lot of things that they haven't learned yet. And in a way that's okay. The problem is they're learning it on the fly and in the ACC as we've learned last night, as we learned against Wake Forest, these teams will not give you a night off just because you're trying to learn on the fly. They're going to make, they're going to teach you if it's baptism by fire, they're going to teach you one way or the other. And, and the other thing I mentioned was roles. And I think that's something that 
Duke is really struggling with right now. Earlier in the season, Kyle Filipowski was the go-to guy. There was no question about mm-hmm. that. He came out of the gates playing. We, we talked about, I mean, look, he won the first ACC rookie of the, the week, the first four weeks of the season. The first, first month of the year, Kyle Filipowski was one of the best players in all of college basketball, routinely putting up double doubles, you know, doing stuff that you don't see seven footers do. Uh, through no fault of his own, Kyle Filipowski's come back down to earth pretty, pretty severely, I would argue. I think this team doesn't know at the moment who's our go-to guy. And it's really a rare thing for a for a Duke club. Even, you know, even in years, you know, like Trey Jones' sophomore year, uh, there have been seasons where there were guys who weren't necessarily huge scorers. I mean, look, like Wendell Moore last year, um, even with Paulo Bancaro on that team, there were certain guys who were like, you know what? This is a moment when I need to take control and I need to calm my team down and give them what they need what they need in terms of a basket or whatever else. I think this team doesn't know who that guy is right now. I think they, they had it earlier in the year when it was Filipowski, but with him fading a little bit, I don't think I don't, they're just not sure. I thought Derek Whitehead was going to become that. He hasn't yet, hasn't even come close to being that yet. Jeremy Roach is, you know, banged up nursing injury, whatever it may be. He can't do it yet. And, and as a result, they all look, I think they all look around. They go, okay, I, I don't know who's, who's in charge. I don't know who's, going to calm us down. I don't know who's going to get, we're down 15, nothing. We got to get a bucket. Who's going to get us that bucket. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're unsure, even for a heartbeat, then like you said, the opposing team is going to pounce. And like you said, when Trey Jones is a great example, because Trey Jones was a guy who was that leader. He was the guy that we could depend on. And he's the guy that you wanted with the ball in a situation, not because necessarily he was going to make a basket, but you knew with the ball in his hands, a basket was going to be made. He was going to create the opportunity for Duke to have a shot. And right now we have guys that can make shots, but we don't have a guy that, again, like you said, when the chips are down and we're like, our backs are to the wall, who's going to be the guy that steps up and says, I want the ball because through me, the the ball will go into the basket. Something's going, something good is going to happen. We're going to be okay. We're going to learn again. That's something else we're going to learn on the fly. Who is going to become that person? We just don't know who that is yet. All right. I got two other quick points I want to make. Uh, and, and we got distracted from talking about the game. Um, all that stuff we just did was supposed to come after the break. So <laughs> the breaks are going to come later. I jumped the gun. That's, <laughs> I, I jumped the gun. But it was important. I thought it was like, No, no, no. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I do want to get back to the game to, to mention one thing. Uh, I, I can't recall a Duke game where I saw our guards get this thoroughly outplayed. Uh, for NC State, Terquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner uh, and Casey Morsell outscored Duke all on their own. That's, uh, you know, there was a point in the second half about halfway through about eight minutes left, I think in the second half where Terquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner had more points than Duke at that point by the, all by themselves that say nothing of Casey Morsell. Duke's guards. I just want to give you some of the stats. Jalen Blake's playing great lately. One of three with three turnovers and zero assists. Jeremy Roach, zero for for eight. Didn't hit a bucket. Zero for eight. Uh, And and Tyrese Proctor was two of five with four turnovers. Tyrese Proctor was borderline unplayable in this game. I think had the game been more competitive, he would have gotten a lot less time because he just, he looked so much slower than everybody else out there. Uh, He... His court vision and his confidence both seem just off at this point. I, I don't know what's going on with our guards, but our guards were so, so thoroughly outplayed in this game. 
And then the last thing I wanted to mention, how soon we forget. Do you know that in 2020, Duke was ranked number six in the nation. They were 22 and three, 12 and two in the ACC. And we came into Raleigh for a road game. This was just three years ago. Again, that team was number six in the country. And we got thumped by a really mediocre NC State team. The NC State team, they they barely won half their ACC games that year. They were not a team that was going to do anything. And, and admittedly, the 2020 season was interrupted because of COVID. So no one got a chance to do anything. But but Duke was really good. And we got the crap beat out of us. Trey Jones, with a leader like Trey Jones in that team, we, we lost by 22 points. NC State had a nearly 30-point lead throughout much of the second half. Their guards, Devon Daniels and Markel Johnson, absolutely dominated, almost outscored Duke all by themselves, you know, the way I was talking about, you know, in this game. That was just a few years ago. This has happened to Duke before, and that 2020 team, literally two weeks after that game, beat the pants off of UNC, and all of us were super excited and thought that this was a team that was about to make a magical run until COVID ended things. But that's how quickly things can change. I don't want anyone. We, we've we've spent 30, 40 minutes now trashing this Duke team. The sky <laughs> is not falling. Huh? The sky is not falling, even though we're in a fog. Exactly. Exactly. Things can turn very quickly in college basketball. And and I'm not, I've seen a lot of folks who are like, you know, ready, seem like they're ready to give up. There's no way. This team still has a ton of potential, still has a ton, a ton of talent. And and has a chance to to make us completely forget about this game the way we've forgotten about that 2020 NC State game. And the first opportunity for that turnaround is Saturday against Boston College. Let's go. There you go, baby. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we got to tell you a little bit about BC. How have they changed? What's going on with BC since we met them back in December? Stick around. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. Hey. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, we're back from the break, and it is time to preview what Duke has ahead. This weekend, we'll be playing Boston College, BC. It will be on the road. Donald, it's on the road. Did you know that it's a road game? It's a road game. Yeah, yeah. That appears to be a big deal for this Blue Devil team, and it's worth noting. BC has recently won a couple home games against fairly de- against Virginia Tech. It's pretty good. And Notre Dame, not very good. But BC is much better at home than they are on the road. Since playing Duke in early December, BC's gone three and three. They've fallen from 125th in Ken Palm to 169th. This is a team that is far better on defense than they are on offense. They're 91st on defense, 273rd on offense. Woo! Uh, and the big thing you can say about this BC club is they are a terrible three-point shooting team. Just awful. 26.5% from three. 355th. We said they're they're like 362, 363 teams in Division One. BC is 355th in three-point shooting. And the worst combination you can have as a team, not only are they bad at shooting threes, they're bad at defending threes. They give up almost 36.5% from their opponents on three-pointers, which is a pretty good you know, rate for your opponent to be hitting them. So, Donald, what else you got? Tell me a little bit about BC and what we need to be doing in this game on over the weekend. So, Jason, I think you took a lot of the points that I was going to make, but I think the biggest one is this. You know, on offense, the one thing when we played them last time and we beat them 75-59 in Cameron back on December 3rd. And during that game, we did a lot of passing. We did a lot of shooting and, and a lot of we had I, that was one of the games where I think we had a high assist to uh, to baskets made ratio. Let me tell you about BC, the points that you mentioned, three point shooting, terrible, two point shooting, terrible, free throw shooting, terrible. Three points uh, uh, attempted to field goals attempted. They're like how many of their how many of their baskets that they attempt are three pointers? Terrible. Their assists for field goals made terrible. This team does not move the ball. This team does not shoot the ball well. It's it's a lot of you know step back taking shots over defenders. And so the problem with it, 
with them is that they're going to have a lot of opportunities where Duke can get defensive rebounds and get out on the break and run. And again, this is where energy is going to come in. You get that and, and make it where your victory on defense is to make it where they either don't take a shot or they only take one. You're getting the ball and you're ramming it down their throat on the other end. And I think when it comes to on off on, on when Duke has the ball on offense, I think the one thing is work the work the ball around, get some possession and and try to find the open shot because again, BC does not like people taking they want people to come down and take quick shots so they can get out and run. They don't want people to set up an offense and try to work around and try and find the right pass to the right person who's open for a shot. And the and the great thing is for Duke, when we were doing well early in the season, part of the reason was we were able to move the ball around and get a lot of passes and find someone for an open shot, whether it be inside Cal Filipowski or outside to somebody who was shooting a three-point jump shot. We have the opportunity to get back to those basics that made us successful early on in the season. Boston College, they haven't changed much in their approach from when we saw them a month ago. So let's go up there and let's figure out a way to move the ball around and get active on offense and on defense, because if we are, we can win this ballgame. Yeah, this team needs a, a boost of confidence on the road. And BC is a great place to have that kind of thing happen for you. I do want to remind folks a little bit about that first game, because one of the big stories of that game, BC did really well on the boards. They out-rebounded us, which doesn't happen very often to do. But one of the things about the game was how much we dominated offensively on the inside. Mark Mitchell had 15 points in that game, shooting six of seven from the field. Derek Lively, who does not score much, had, was four of five against BC, had eight points, blocked three shots. Ryan Young hit all his shots from the field. Kyle Filipowski had a double-double with 13 and 10. We really did a number on them inside. And that was, you know, that was the whole reason that Duke won that game. It's also worth noting for BC, CJ Pena had his best game of his career, perhaps, you know, of the season, perhaps of his career. He had 16 points, was hitting three-pointers. CJ Pena was outstanding in that game. It'll be interesting to see if Duke, you know, does something, if they let him go off again or if they do something to adjust. But the other big thing about that game was, I don't know if you remember this, Donald, but Makai Ashton Langford, who's arguably their best player, Got a hamstring injury like nine minutes into the game. Mm-hmm. Barely played. Did not play. I the think he only had one basket or something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, that's a break that Duke got in that game. And I'm sure Makai Ashton Langford, who's, again, one of the better players in the ACC, has circled this game on his calendar as like, okay, now's my chance to show Duke what I really am. Uh, it'll be very interesting. After a game where our guards stu- uh, struggled so badly against NC State, where NC State's three-guard backcourt combined to score like 70 points. Unreal how badly a hurting they put on us. It is important for this Duke team to not let Makai Ashton Langford do the same thing all over again. And as you mentioned, the front court is going to be key for me because we have a bunch of trees and they don't. I think their tallest guy that plays a, a considerable minutes is 6'9". We have four guys over over 6'10 that we can deploy at any given point and and really do some damage inside. I think also I, and if, if I'm going to challenge a couple of guys, I challenge Kyle Filipowski to do what he did in that game. Cause in that game, I thought he was very good and very effective at getting the ball in his spot. And at that point, he was still the focal point of the offense, getting the ball in his spot and turn around and, and basically looking, going, huh, I can make this play and going out and actually having the confidence to do it. He like, don't worry about the crowd. Like, you know, uh, I believe it's Conti for him. I don't think they really, you know, 
it's not going to be a rabid crowd. They're going to be animated, obviously, but this is a team that we can beat if we can focus on the things that made us successful against them the first time. And I think also Ryan Young getting back to that rebounding fundamentals because he's had a couple of rebounds uh, or re- uh, games where his rebounding wasn't quite up to where he normally is. He's been great on the offensive end, but not necessarily on the defensive end with the glass. I want to see him just go out and, and let these kids know, hey, I'm I'm the old dude on the block, but I can still take your lunch money. Like he has to be that kind of uh, aggressive, that, that that kind of guy in, in, the, in the post, a beast that we need off the bench or even if he's starting. I want him to be that guy. And then also Derek Lively. Derek Lively didn't see a lot of action in this game last time around because he was still coming back from injury and we're still kind of working him back in. You know, again, be active on the defensive glass. If that's if if he does nothing on offense, I want to see him active on the defensive glass and active on the defensive end with altering shots because the one thing that Boston College will try to do is drive the lane. And if they try to drive the lane, I want him to send all those shots back down to the other end of the court. If we have to reset by if we have to reset 35 times because he keeps swatting it down to the other end of the court and they keep getting it, that's fine. But I want to see him very active on the defensive end. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I want to see all those things because this, this Blue Devil Club has really, really struggled in um in road games. And this is it, it's important to get on track because the road games are gonna start coming fast and furious. And there's some look, we got to go to Clemson in a week. We got Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech right after that. We're going to have to play at Miami, at Virginia. I mean, those are really, really, and of course at UNC at the end of the season, those are really, really difficult games. And this team has to develop some confidence that they can play on the road. They have to, not just confidence, they have to develop the attitude that it takes to go into someone else's house and punch them in the mouth and say, I dare you to get back up. And and they need to develop the idea that, hey, all these teams are going to give us their best shot. Let them. We can take it like that's what we that that's the biggest thing that any Duke team misses and any Duke team that struggles over the years. It's because they they don't realize that everyone is going to give us their best shot. And the great Duke teams, the elite Duke teams have said, that's cool. Give us your best shot. That's cute. We can take it. And after you do, we're still going to beat you. That's how they need to approach things. I love it. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 474 of the DBR podcast, the Duke Basketball Report. Hey, uh, we apologize, by the way, for not responding to the flood of emails. That doesn't mean we don't want to get them. We mentioned a bunch of what you guys had to say. Keep those emails coming to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Like and subscribe. We, We need more likes. We need more subscriptions. We want you guys to interact with us any way you possibly can. We are sorry that Sam couldn't make it, but Donald and I were here. This is the Duke Band now to play us out and take us home.
The golden age of travel is back in the Palm Beaches. As America's first resort destination, the Palm Beaches are the gentler side of Florida, waiting just for you. From Jupiter to Boca Raton, sun-kissed sands embrace the warm Gulf Stream waters. Our vibrant blend of people, cultures, and coastal towns welcome everyone. So we invite you to join us. Experience the original, the one, the only, the Palm Beaches. Plan your trip at thepalmbeaches.com.